From Milwaukee's NPR, this is Capital Notes. We break down the big political news affecting Wisconsin. I'm Ayan Silver, speaking with J.R. Ross, editor of WisPolitics.com. He provides a roundup of the Wisconsin developments you need to know. Here's our latest conversation. Hi, J.R., great to have you on Capital Notes as usual. No, well, thanks for having me. So as of last Thursday, there's another big case in Wisconsin's court system that will likely eventually make it to the state Supreme Court. Seven unions representing teachers and other public workers in Wisconsin have filed a lawsuit attempting to end the state's near total ban on collective bargaining for most public employees under Act 10. First, can you remind us about Act 10, which has withstood numerous legal challenges over the past decade and why it's been important? Well, it was a law pushed through uh, after being proposed by then-Governor Scott Walker in 2011, approved by Republicans, that basically took away the ability for most public employees to bargain for pay raises, benefits, working conditions, those kinds of things. It did not, however, apply to certain uh, protected classes, mostly law enforcement, police, firefighters, those kinds of folks. And it's been a huge change in how the government does business because it eliminated that ability for most public employees, like teachers, to bargain for what their pay was going to be or what kind of you know, benefits they could get. And advocates have said it has saved billions of dollars uh, for taxpayers because there have been lower costs with higher contributions from public employees to their uh, health care and retirement, for example. Opponents have said it has unfairly restricted uh, the powers of public employees to band together and advocate for themselves. And two, that the way it was done was inappropriate because it created two different classes of people, which is basically what this lawsuit's about. And would that be police and other public safety workers and then everyone else? Yeah. The, the lawsuit talks about like a favored kind of quote unquote class of public safety employees. And it points out that not all public safety employees were covered by that exemption to Act 10. Uh, conservation wardens, uh, corrections guards, for example, they're not shielded from the impact of that law. And the lawsuit argues that the unions that were not uh, kind of brought under the acting umbrella were ones that backed Scott Walker in 2010, that it creates a different class of employees, essentially, and that violates the Constitution, bars against treating people differently. And now, it's key to note with this case, it is not going right to the Supreme Court. It goes to circuit court first. It could take a while for this to get to the state Supreme Court. So if it goes to normal process, you go circuit court, then you go to the appeals court, then the Supreme Court. Even if you get there, there's no guarantee the court will hear it. Because remember, Justice Janet Prose, which during the spring campaign said she had signed the recall petition against Scott Walker and that she might recuse herself from an Act 10 lawsuit if it came to the court because of that. Now, we'll see if that, you know, that's a ways away. But just kind of keep in mind there's no guarantee this case will get there. And if it does, there are a lot of big issues for the court right now. We have redistricting before the court right now. We have a request pending to take up a challenge to school choice. There's a case in the Dane County Courts about abortion that's still weaving its way through that level. So there are a lot of big topics that are on the kind of liberal to-do list or things you want to challenge the Supreme Court that could get there, but they're in the pipeline. Well, and in addition, uh, conservative Justice Brian Hagedorn was former GOP Governor Scott Walker's chief legal counsel and had a role in drafting the Act 10 law. But you know, yeah. so, there so you never know like what it's up to. Ju- there's no requirement for recusal for justice. They have to make a decision on their own if they can be impartial here in the case. That, but that's that's a ways away. <laughs> we got a few steps before we get there. 
Well, I'm wondering the basics of collective bargaining, you know, what's what's been the effect? I mean, you talked a little bit about the effect on public employees, but why should the average Wisconsinite care about Act 10 and this issue who's maybe not a public employee? No, it depends your perspective. If you're somebody sympathetic to union uh, rights and powers, you're saying, hey, you know, they're, uh, it's inappropriate to tell these guys that they face a higher bar, be recertified. So, for example, if you are a, a public employee union, not one of these protected classes, you have to get more than 50%, more than half, 51%, whatever it is, of all members to vote to reaffirm your union, not just half of those voting, right? It's a higher state. It was designed to try and weaken union powers. For those who are advocates of the law, say, look, it saved money. It, it, there's less being put in the property tax rolls for public employee benefits, such as their pensions, because of this law. So, you know, it was quite divisive when it was passed, obviously, sparked huge protests. What was interesting to watch was how Walker survived that recall election in 2012. And the argument back then was that people saw that life went on in Wisconsin, their kids still went to school, garbage still got picked up, things kind of continued to operate, and there wasn't the huge disruption that opponents of the law had, pro- had projected or predicted. So will people still live the same way if it's overturned? We'll see. That's a long ways away, but it's a, it definitely has impacted how everything operates in Wisconsin in terms of your public, uh, public employees and their government. And what's, what are the policy, you know, where, where do people fall on union powers? Why is that such a hot button issue when it comes to, you know, unions and union powers? What, can you just unpack the basics of the political discussion around that? Well, in the Capitol, I mean, think about the kind of period from 2011 uh, to the end of Scott Walker's uh, time in office, early 2019, the changes made to, uh, employ- to unions in Wisconsin. We had Act 10. There was right to work, which basically bars a closed union shop. That was a huge change in Wisconsin. There were changes on uh, contracts of public, uh, public, uh, government. Sorry, local government, state government. It's just everything about unions. They were kind of weakened during that eight-year period. There has been a little bit of a pushback trying to strengthen uh, union powers, union representation. Um, we also, if you look at numbers from the federal government. Our union roles dropped dramatically in terms of those who were covered by a union after Act 10. There's a little bit of a surge, kind of the initial uh, time period, but it's dropped and continued to drop. We're not the, quite the same union state we used to be, and some people want to return that, restore that, that process of, of representation for, for workers. But why do some people feel like they really support unions and unions are good, and why do other people, why are they against them? Oh, I mean... People who support unions say that they they improve conditions and have done all kinds of prompted all kinds of changes from like the eight hour workday, the forty hour work week, you know, having off Saturday and Sunday, uh, benefits, those kinds of things. Those who oppose, I mean, it, it's an interesting mix of those who are you know more opposed. To it. It, they not they don't like unions necessarily, but they don't like forced representation. That you should have a choice whether you're covered by a union, and that with public employees, it's a different story because. They aren't um, paying to a private. They're being paid by a private. By paid by taxpayers. There should be a different process with those those workers. And it's pretty much fallen on on partisan lines, right? I mean, in terms of who's supporting or who's against. For the most part, you know, I mean, there were Republicans who voted against Act Ten back in 2011. Uh, so it's not like it was a straight partisan vote. But you don't find many Democrats in the legislature who are pro Act Ten or anything like that. And what's interesting about Act Ten too is that um, by exempting certain public safety employees, especially police, you know, their costs for those workers have gone up 
more than other workers. And so like in Milwaukee, for example, uh, we had a big discussion this past year about shared revenue and you know, police representation and how many officers they should have. One thing that was noted was that uh, their police force was less than half of their overall employees, but well more than half of their costs because they weren't forced to go undergo these changes. And it's interesting, though, that you probably would never see Governor Evers sign a bill that brought police in, uh, under Act 10 because he's opposed to it. And you won't see Republicans propose a bill to put police under Act 10 because they're big supporters you know, of them. So this is an interesting dynamic on that. They have a, a tangent, but an interesting dynamic about what's going on. Yeah, I think the Associated Press reported that um, Scott Walker, that the police union was one of the only organizations to endorse Walker back in 2010, 2011. And that's one of the claims in the equal protection claim in this in this lawsuit against yep. the act. Yeah, yeah that they're that basically they're favored unions. I think uh, police and firefighters are ones that were mentioned. Uh, so state trooper ones, I think, too. So yeah, it was just different. It, it, it's just gonna, it's going to take a while to to work its way through the system. If you are somebody who's hoping that Act 10 is overturned, like next month, not going to happen. It's going to be a while before this is played out in the court system. And when we say public employees, who's included? Uh, county, municipalities, you know, cities, villages, towns, state. Now, basically, anybody who's paid by a government in Wisconsin, a state or local government, other than those protected classes, those those uh, law enforcement classes like police, like firefighters, are they're, they're covered by Act Ten. You're tuned into Capital Notes. I'm Ayan Silver, speaking with J.R. Ross, editor of WizPolitics.com. So, J.R., there was some news last week on the state Supreme Court front. Uh, Republican Brad Schimmel announced that he'll be running for the open seat in 2025. What can you tell us about that? So Brad Schimmel, former Republican Attorney General, now a Waukesha County Circuit Court judge, announced he's running in 2025. You might think, well, why announce now? That's a long ways away, right? But there's actually some some reasons for him to do it now. I mean, one... Look, every campaign is about raising money. That's a, the lifeblood for a campaign. And it's going to be tough to raise money for anybody in 2024 who's not running for president, U.S. Senate, Congress, the legislature, et cetera. But, you know, Schimmel can work it, connect with donors, remind them that he's out there and trying to kind of say, hey, once you're through your focus on these 2024 races, don't forget about me. Two, in the course, can take up a bunch of issues between now and and uh, spring of 25, he can comment on them. He can say, look, I'm a candidate for Supreme Court. You should pay attention when I say that I disagree with this court decision. He can you know, pipe up and remind people who he is and that might help build awareness about him. And three, you know, if you have a, a primary in the conservative side for the Supreme Court, it could drain resources. Now remember, with Supreme Court, there's not like a liberal primary, conservative primary. There's a one primary if there are more than two candidates. And if they're, usually what happens is there's two liberals or two conservatives um, last time it was two and two, and the top two vote, vote getters get through. If you're a conservative, if you have two conservatives in the race in 2025, you could spend resources you don't want to. It could be a little bit draining. Um, Ann Walsh Bradley, who was first elected to court in 1985, she's up for election in 2025. Now, she has told us that she plans to run again in 2025. She would be, though, uh, I think she turns like 75 or would turn 75 right before being inaugurated for another term in 2025 if she won. So, you know, people are kind of waiting to see to make sure she runs, but incumbents don't really lose in Wisconsin. Traditionally, we've only seen two in the last 50 years, Daniel Kelly in 2020, uh, Lewis Butler in 2008. So, you know, it's it's not easy to take on incumbent justice, but it gives Schimmel a chance to get things moving, get rolling on it. 
And, you know, and he's got some pluses and minuses. He's run statewide before and won. He's also run statewide before and lost. You know, he, there's that yin and yang. He's got a big fundraising list from his days as attorney general. He's also, though, you know, got knocked in 2018 for things like a lawsuit overturning the Affordable Care Act, a donation he got from a PAC for Purdue Pharma, um, a backlog of rape test kits at the state crime, you know, just things like that, that they could come back again in a campaign in 25. We'll just see what the environment's like because it has a long way away. And you think about its attorney in, in politics, you think about what will be like in a year and a half what the environment might be like. Well, looking, uh, zoning in on the court as it currently, currently exists, um, we've got, of course, a redistricting case before the state Supreme Court. And connected to that is that when Justice uh, Janet Protosewitz, who's backed by liberals, when she took the bench, and before she'd made any decisions, Republicans said that they would consider impeaching her because of her comments about redistricting. And GOP Assembly Speaker Robin Voss eventually backed off of that. But then he got some legal advice from former conservative state Supreme Court justices. Fast forward, a liberal watchdog group filed a claim that that panel of justices violated the state's open meeting laws. But then last week, this is what I want to ask you about, JR. Last week, a Dane County Circuit Court judge rejected that claim. What can you tell us about that? So there really is more about uh, kind of a process thing than a, a, a substance thing. And by that, what I mean is that with state law in Wisconsin, if you want to have a private enforcement of an alleged open means violation, you have a couple options. One is you go to the DA in that county and file a complaint. If you do, though, you've got to wait tw- either for that DA to say, I'm not going to prosecute, or 20 days. American Oversight didn't do that. They went file a complaint with the Dane County DA, Ishmael Ozan. Then five days later, they filed the lawsuit uh, in Dane County Circuit Court. And Judge Frank Remington said, look, you know, looking at the, com- the allegations in this complaint, uh, if they're all true, then this panel, uh, that's what you want to call it, violate open meetings law by meeting uh, about how it's going to advise Robin Voss. That said, because American Oversight didn't follow the proper procedure, he must dismiss the open meetings part of their complaint. Now, there's a second piece of that lawsuit. It's an open records complaint. Uh, they're looking for documents from the advice that Voss got. And we saw a document dump from American Oversight a few weeks back that included all kinds of stuff in there, including text messages between Robin Voss and his chief of staff about uh, a local conservative think tank, Institute for Reforming Government, which they referred to them as quote-unquote idiots. Now, you don't really want your text messages insulting somebody who's an ally out there in the public sphere, but that's what kind of happens with these lawsuits. I mean, American Oversight... No, they're not happy that they had that part of the suit dismissed, but the old records thing keeps going. They can keep seeking records. And oh, by the way, in the process, they can be a thorn in the side of Robin Voss. Don't forget, this group filed several lawsuits over the Gable investigation that Robin Voss authorized, produced all kinds of documents. They got a reward of attorney's fees for winning those open records lawsuits. And just really kind of, again, it's about kind of just keeping the, the focus on Robin Voss and these decisions and what he's doing. And once while you get a good document that you can say, hey, look, there's something here that should be looked into. I think American Oversight might have implied that they had a strategy behind not following those rules or potentially that they wanted the documents to come out sooner. I think the group's executive director said that despite the ruling, the lawsuit still resulted in documents getting released to the public that, quote, otherwise might have remained shrouded in darkness. Is that, yeah. Yeah, but that goes to that point. It's about kind of keeping the screws to Robin Voss, like those documents coming out. They, they got stuff that revealed, for example, that 
Former Justice Will Cox and Prosser had advised Robin against impeaching Protosewicz. Like that stuff maybe wouldn't have ever come out if it hadn't been for the lawsuit. So again, they lost that piece of the suit, but they kind of got their ultimate goal, which is getting those documents out there. And, you know, they're finding this on you know, principle as well, but also just the ability to kind of keep that focus on Robin Ross as part of the plan, part of the, the, the inspiration for doing these things. All right, a lot to a lot to keep an eye on. Um, thanks for all this, Jr. And thanks for joining me on Capital Notes. Anytime. That was Jr. Ross, editor of WISPolitics.com, speaking with me, WUWM's Mayan Silver. Listen for our segments every other Monday with an extended segment on Lake Effect, and check out the Capital Notes podcast wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> <laughs>